Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Open Bar Experience. David Dacker, your host. So for this week, I'm doing something a little bit different that I haven't done before, and that is I'm doing a part two of uh, last week's um, interview. And so mainly because this week has been very busy, uh, I sort of ran out of time. Uh, As I mentioned last week, uh, in the process of uh, opening up a a bar, and so that takes up um, a lot of your time. especially a lot of your creative energy. And so in order to be consistent with the podcast and uh, put out something every week, uh, one of the things is going to be... So to this this week, I am going to put part of the interview from that I had with uh, Mike uh, last week. In the future, as uh, once uh, Lockwood Station is open, I will be doing the podcast on site uh, I think that that is uh, going to help <laughs> with uh, its uh, consistency because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be definitely spending a lot of time there. So might as well, you know, make it part of, of, of that. And so there's a few things about opening a bar uh, in the process by which Cottonmouth got open um, that Mike shared last week that uh, I didn't put on, on the last podcast. So. That's good. I'm going to focus on that in, in this week, um, in this episode, and then uh, see you next week, even though next week is going to be even busier than this week. So I'll figure it out, uh, make sure that uh, there's uh, something interesting in the next episode. But this episode, though, like I said, since I'm in that process of opening uh, a bar, I think it's, uh, to me, it's... Uh, it's interesting to hear what the, the process by which some someone else goes through to uh, to bring the idea to life. Both bars I have, I, I consider late bloomers. You know, like it took Reserve a long time to really kind of take off, and and you know, Cottonmouth is almost a year old, and 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 you know, it, it's been great, but. I feel like we've, we've only scratched the surface of what we can do with that space. I mean, it's a, it's a great space. It's two stories. There's so much more we can do with it, but we're still figuring it out, you know? And, and, you know, so a part of me almost feels like this is just my MO, <laughs> you know, this is just what happens to me. And this is how it works. I'm not that guy that opens up a place and there's a line wrapped around the corner from day one, you know, you know, you know, Sean Bermudez is a really great friend of mine. And so you think about places like present company, right? He's just killing it, you yeah. know, and, and, and Michael Leitner, his partner over there, Leitner and I worked together at Champs 19 years ago. You know, so, I mean, I know both those guys extremely well. We go back a long ways. And, you know, they, they have a knack for making that stuff happen. Like, you open the door, flip on the, on, you know, the open sign, and it's like, boom, there's a line of people. You know, that's not me. And it's never – it just hasn't been me, and I don't – doing something wrong. But at the same time, it makes me grind, and I'm a grinder. So, uh, you know, it's what it is. Well, you're in the right city for for grinding, yeah. for one. For two, I think that is just the style of, of spot that that you do because more than reserve, because reserve is to I, again, like I remember when that no one was was there because everything was under construction around you, and so I think it was whenever there was uh, conventions that people would come over, and then industry, 
And I remember seeing that whiskey list grow, 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 grow. And it became uh, more and more interesting before whiskey was hot. Yeah, right? cared about whiskey at that time. Yeah, people didn't care. And so um, the thing about Cottonmouth is that it reminds me of those old school bars, like hotel bars or just like what was called nightclubs. Not what they are now, but it was just no windows. Uh, you had these red vinyl leather uh, uh, chairs uh, and seats, and it was a lot of wood, and it was smoky, and uh, you know, you usually had you know a, a really seasoned old you know bartender behind with raspy voice, and it, <laughs> it was just like just classic. You want to hide out from the world? This is the place you do it, and so. But there was a, a lot of character usually there because you never knew who you would. You never know who you're going to meet at a bar. But in those places back then, maybe it was because I was younger, I had so much lit, you know, not a whole lot of experience in life that the people I met in those places were fascinating to me. But it's got that feel. And so that that's the kind of spot that you sort of, you find, you know, and then you sort of tell a few people about and they get, you know, to go there on a regular basis. But it's just based on these regulars that, you know, our grinders that this is well, the place and they, where and they get it you know and, and that's the whole thing it's it's funny so i remember when the space was looking like it was going to come available you know so you know robbie and checks were there with with behringer and they were kind of struggling a little bit and their lease was coming up and you know they were kind of figuring out what they wanted to do you know did, did they want to re-up the lease again for another three years or whatever and or did they want to say hey you know what maybe we we, we take our marbles and and move on kind of thing and and we started that conversation with them and the landlord and we kind of you know eventually came up with an agreement and we bought them out and then we reworked a new lease and everything but i remember when that start that process started and and i i called call neff up and i was like hey man i got this really great space you know we we could probably get it you know the whole thing and I said, man, it's a really, really cool space. I said, the problem is it's on the 100 block of Maine. He's like, well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, because he's not, you know, at that point he spent a little time in Houston, but not a ton of time. And I said, man, you know, it's about two blocks, you know, from where all the action is. You know, I said, you know, I said, I, you know, it, it, just understand it's going to be a little bit of a grind you know, and this and that and everything else. And I said, we're not, we're not solely on an Island. There's other stuff around us, but not a lot. And, and we're not in the middle of everything. And he's like, man, I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, if you're excited because you're a block off from everyone, you know, block or two away from everyone and that people are going to have to make a specific jaunt to see you, then cool. I just want to make sure we have that conversation before we move forward. And then we walk in and it's, it's like, you know, Michael really kind of, you know, he really, really got the national claim and everything was in New York. But I mean, you know, granted, he had already been up working in Seattle before he moved to New York. But New York was really kind of where he made a name for himself on, on a national, international level. And the space downstairs is so much like late 80s, early 90s, East Village, New York City. And quite frankly, the downstairs space is very similar to Holiday Cocktail Lounge before he and his brother got in there and, and kind of re refurbished the place. 
Like it had that same kind of feel. It had that same kind of vibe that, that, and it's the 11th here is the 11th oldest building in Houston. It was built in 1874. The brick is original brick. You know, the slab that the floor is, is, you know, they've, they've touched it up a little bit, but for the most part, you can still see the original floor. And then you go upstairs and upstairs is like a Soho loft. So you get the kind of the, the, the two ends of the spectrum of uh, lower Manhattan. And, and Michael saw it. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, this is, he's like, yeah, this is my kind of bar. I was like, I know. I know. I already know where this conversation's going. But, yeah, I mean, it had that vibe. It had that feel. Um, and you can't mimic it. You can't change it. So, so we kind of knew that it was going to be a little bit of a, of a grind. But – you know, and again, we had, I mean, every obstacle you can kind of run through with, with that space. But, you know, I feel like we're starting to really fire on all cylinders. Um, but also the thing that, that interests me when I do things is being different. So it's very easy. You know, I always give this example. How many places in Houston are doing a steak night? 100? Yeah. 200? You know, easy, right? And what happens is that we have a knack in, in Houston that we see something work and we're like, oh, well, it works over here. Let's, let's, let's do it. So when I first moved here, it was big ass beer night, right? The old uh, um, Outback pub yeah. over on uh, Fountain View, the good old days with yep. John, with John Milam. Uh, I think I just got a headache just thinking about it, but. I worked at David Buster's. I would just go around. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, um, you know, it, 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 it's, I just think that it, it, it's a grind, you know, and, and you had to figure those things out and, and, but you get excited for it. I mean, I like the idea of, you know, like when, when, when I was working on reserve and, the, and, and everything like that, I was like, man, there's no whiskey bars in Houston because at the time there wasn't, you had steakhouses and steakhouses had, um, good whiskey selections but there wasn't a bar you know and and i always tell people like if you look at the um like the either the two pappas steakhouses you know you go to the bar they have a very distinctive kind of feel and that's what every whiskey bar in the country kind of looked and felt like you know dark mahogany leather you know just shiny and polished and and Rat Pack music. It, it, there was like, it's kind of like a checklist. Like, oh, you're a whiskey bar? All right. Do you have this? Cool. You got this? Cool. You got this? All right. Cool. All right. You're good to go. You got, you know, 15 bottles of Macallan. All right. Perfect. You're ready to open. And, um, and, and that was really kind of the MO. Um, I didn't want that. A, that wasn't Houston. And B, that's not me. Even though I've worked, you know, button up places like the strip house, but even the strip house wasn't like a normal steakhouse. I mean, it was like a nightclub with world class steak. You know, and you're like, yeah, well, this is a party and this is yeah. different, you know. But, you know, when you think about Houston, it's a very casual city, right? So one, I always attribute it to our weather. It's always hot and muggy. But, I mean, for the most part, it's a jeans and a T-shirt, cargo shorts and then flip-flops. You know, if if you're a nine-to-fiver, you're only wearing a suit if you're meeting clients or if you're an attorney you're going to court. The rest of the time you're wearing you know, pants and a golf shirt, maybe a sports jacket. And that's our city, you know, and the vast majority of the restaurants don't require a jacket. Really the only one that of note is Brennan's, right? So Brennan's adapts their dress code from New Orleans, which is a very upscale kind of dressy, you know, 
type environment, which is always kind of funny to me because it's the same climate. <laughs> but, you know, look, you want to wear a seersucker suit? Go crazy. Uh, it kind of rubs funny if you ask me. But uh, so uh, I wanted a place that if you're going to like a Rockets game or if you're going to a concert, if you're going to an Astros or now Dynamo that they're in stadiums downtown, you know, if you're wearing a jersey, great. You know, I mean, I used to hear people like, you know, Vic and Anthony's across from Minute Maid, right? And, and people go to a baseball game and then they want to grab dinner at Vic and Anthony's afterwards. So you're talking $100 a head meal. Easy. Easy. And they're coming from the game, so they're wearing an Astros jersey and they won't let them sit in the dining room. So you can sit in, the, in their bar area, which isn't huge. Like, you're going to turn down a group of five? Like you're in a position to turn down $500 plus, $1,000 in sales. Good for you. Yeah. But that's not Houston. Like, you know what I mean? And who cares if a person's wearing a jersey in the dining room at Vic and Anthony's or Morgan's or whatever fine dining steakhouse type place you're at? It doesn't matter. So I wanted a place that was casual and comfortable. Come as you are. But you're still going to get a world-class experience. We're going to give you some of the best whiskey that that's out there that we can get our hands on. We're going to give you, we're going to have a staff that's knows whiskey like no one's business. And we're going to have brand ambassadors. We're going to have master distillers, master blenders. We're going to have, it's just going to be a fun environment. You never know who's going to be there. Last weekend, uh, Cypress Hill came in after their show. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you know, and, and, and you know how I find out, is uh, what you call it over at Etro is like posting photos on social media with the band. And I'm like, really? You don't even call me? <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of one of those things. You know, you create an environment that, that opens yourself up to those things and, and then you have to roll with it. It's a little bit of a fine edge to, to play with because it's very easy to go too far one direction or the other. But we try to have that balancing act. Uh, you know, Cottonmouth, you know, A, the fact that you have Michael and I teaming up together um, you know, you know, Michael's first bar Ward three is a, is, you know, on the short list of best whiskey bars in the United States. It's always been one of my favorite bars to go to anywhere in the world. So you take two prominent bar owners from two different cities and coming together and then opening up a bar. And originally we weren't even thinking about Houston. It just ended up making more sense because, Michael was in L.A. and I was in Houston and neither one of us were going to move to another market. And, and we kind of ruled out L.A. because of how much it was going to cost to open up a place in L.A. And we ruled out New York, same reason. So Houston made a lot of sense and, and, and everything else. But, you know, you know, Michael and I have some different perspectives and some different experience where, you know, Michael's older than I am. And but he has about the same amount of time in the bar industry as me. So you're talking about two guys with 60 years in the business combined. And so we were doing this before, you know, A, being a bartender was cool, you know. Uh, that's kind of where that whole term mixologist came from because you'd meet a girl, you know, out somewhere. And what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a mixologist, baby. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a bartender. But, I mean, again, you know, that pre-cocktail revolution, you yeah. know. Um, but the bartenders in the 90s were making 1000 a week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sports cars in, in, the, in the parking lot where the bartenders, not the managers. Oh, yeah. And that's and it's funny. When I moved back to Houston, when I moved to Houston and I said I didn't want to be a manager, I wanted, I wanted to get back to making money, to be honest with you. I was making, you know, I was making six figures, you know, as a 20, you know, 22 to 25-year-old in Atlanta. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, I bought a house, you know, when I was 20. 
Wow. <laughs> you know, and 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 sold it five years later and made forty grand off of that sale. Like wow. like you know what I mean? But yeah. I bought the house for a hundred thousand <laughs> in Atlanta, like not even like a bad neighborhood. I mean, like it was it was a different time. Like you could do those things. And, you know, you know, I, I wanted to get back to a little bit of that lifestyle. I enjoyed it a little bit more. I, didn't, I wanted money. I didn't want to work, you know, whatever, the 60, 70 hours as a restaurant manager making crap pay and just looking at the bartenders who, quite frankly, were average at best, yeah. you know. And, you know, so that's kind of what I said. I said, I'm going back to bartending, you know, unless something really came along as a management type thing, then fine. But I, I was like, I want to make real money. I don't, I don't want to waste my time and I want I want to have freedom you know I used yeah. to I used to play golf a couple times a week and I could you know you know I could literally go play at Memorial Park in the morning and then go to work at Champs at night you know it was pretty pretty nice lifestyle yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so you know again uh, I I like the idea of something different and something new and really I I, I felt cottonmouth uh, and I still feel it is is a great case study for what you can and can't do. And some of it we're still figuring out. But, you know, if you look at places like New York City, and think about the East Village of New York City. You have like 12 of the 20 best cocktail bars in the country or in the East Village. And the East Village is three quarters of a square mile. So three quarters of a mile by three quarters of a mile. Very small tight area you're like well how do 12 world-class cocktail bars make it well they make it because each one's different and each one has their own idea of what a cocktail bar is so for houston to continue to grow and and to be the powerhouse that we're becoming you know on a national level you know, we're seeing it on the culinary side, right? So I always tell people, right now, the next great chef in Houston is is a prep cook. You know, whether it's for Chris Shepard, whether it's for Lachey, whether it's for Caswell, whether, you know, who, name, 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 you know, Justin Yu, Hugo, whoever, whoever, whoever you want to throw in there. But that, that person is going to then go work for another one of these top shelves and he's going to be a line cook or she's going to be a line cook and then they're going to be a sous chef and then they're going to end up being a chef de cuisine for someone and they're going to go open up their own place. And what they're going to do is that whole time that they've worked for all these, you know, world-class badass chefs here in town, they're learning. And, and they're going to say, all right, I, you know, I learned this, you know, you know, Chris Shepard does this and I really like this, this and this, but I don't know, I don't, I don't like this. Like I would do it this way. Right. And, yeah. you know, maybe he even brings it up to the chef and chef looks at him like, no, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Right. And 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 quite frankly, that person, though, is then going to go somewhere else and then they're going to learn a whole new you know, skill set, a whole new thing from someone else. And, and they're going to like, man, I really like what this person does. They do this, 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 but I don't like that. And, and, and at some point they're going to culminate with their own vision of this is what I want my restaurant to be. The same thing is going to happen bar-wise, but it hasn't happened yet in Houston. So if you look at the cocktail, well, it hasn't. Not yet. I know. Not yet. I know. It, it's coming. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. This is, just, this is just natural evolution. So if you look at the, the cocktail bars in our city right now, the family tree all goes back to one place. And it's Anvil. 
as a testament to the job that Bobby's done and everyone that's ever worked in that space. There's a lot to be said for that, right? But if you look at things like Julep, you look at Bad News, you look at all these bars, there's always goes back to goes back to Anvil and it yeah. goes back to that 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 family tree and that lineage. That's a singular school of thought. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's right, it's not that it's wrong. It's just one singular view. So the more of these views you have, so you know, again, you know, there's some fun stuff going on at present company right now. There's fun stuff going on at Cottonmouth. There's fun things going on at Reserve. There's fun things going on at Mongoose versus Cobra. You know, you look at the the Worcesters, you know, there's some cool things going on there, right? So right now there there's there's some people behind a bar, right? You know, you you know, um, uh, Grand Prize, you know, and Lindsay and what she's doing. And, and so you're seeing all these really kind of, you know, Johnny's Gold Brick and what they're doing over there, right? Yeah. So you got all these all these things going on, right? So you're going to start seeing some of these bartenders, you know, they'll come work for us. They're going to come work for Bobby. They're going to go work for, you know, for Alba. They're going to go, you know, work for, for Justin. They're going to go work for Lindsay. They're going to, you know, and they're going to learn and they're going to learn some different things and they're going to get some different perspectives and some different schools of thought that, you know, the next great bar is coming. Yeah. You know, and it's in someone's head right now. You know, I mean, Justin's working on some stuff, I think, and, you know, and, and you got some other people working on opening up their own places. And, you know, I, I'm excited to see what happens. But we really wanted Cottonmouth to be almost like an incubator yeah. and, and kind of challenge people's thoughts because you got two old guys. We've been there and done it since the 90s. You know, we've yeah. been behind the sticks since the mid-90s. Wow. So we saw it before Sasha decided to open up Milk and Honey. We saw it before, you know, Dale DeGroff was cool. Yeah. You know? And Gaz and, and all and all these legends that that we have to pay a certain degree of homage to because of what they what they've taught us. Uh, you know, the Julie Reiners of the world. And you know there's there there's other points of view and there's other perspectives and there's some different things and, and you know, again, Neff and I have a very similar perspective on, on on a bar and what a bar can be but we have different ways we go about it so that's kind of fun too yeah you know we we he's far more cerebral than i am and i'm far more emotional so i say hey i always do things this way like this this and this and you know and because i get a positive response out of the guest in front of me right michael will sit there and say well science says <laughs> <laughs> far brighter man than i am but but he, he'll sit there and say yeah well this and that and he'll he'll always send me different articles and stuff and i'm always I'm like oh okay that makes sense you know um and the notion of like the third place you know the idea that everyone has a first place and a second place right everyone has a home and everyone has a job but the role of a third place whether it's a coffee shop a bar the gym you know the community center you know, that place that you go and you walk in and there's no hierarchy, right? Right. right? You can be a millionaire or you could be, a, you know, on food stamps. It doesn't really matter, right? You walk in, everyone treats you the same. You know, they're, 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 your, your personal wealth or knowledge or experience doesn't really matter. Um, and you come in and you can have a good time. That's, that's really kind of the uh, essence of what we try to focus on, you know, and, 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 and create environments that are non-judgmental for people to come in and just, because look, there's a lot of different ways to live a life. 
it's not my place to tell tell you how to live yours, and it's not yours to tell me how to live mine. We we just go about our business. But if we're sitting in a bar together, we'll have a drink together and, and talk. Yeah, you know. I think that's one of the things that was was great about the type of bar that I was telling you that usually there's a seasoned bartender back there. And as a bartender, you know, if you've done it long enough, or sometimes people end up bartending after having a life full of, you know, a career and things that happen or whatever. But normally, once you get to a certain age and you're in that position, like you, you, you should know better. I'm sure there's some idiot out there that doesn't. But the majority of the ones that I've come across, seasoned bartenders, like you know better than to try and judge someone. Uh, at that at that point is because you've done so much you've been through so much you've seen things in such a way that you're like you know I don't know why this person is here in this position in life but right now this is sort of like a bit of a um, respite and uh, I think that's a that's an important thing about the third place like you said there's no hierarchy the only hierarchy is whoever's running the place and normally a good third place that person does not use the hierarchy unless it's absolutely necessary. And that is somebody's getting out of line, yeah. you know, in whatever kind of way. But I, I think that you're right. The, the, the beauty of what's happening in Houston right now is that the, the, that lineage um, for, from Anvil is that some of the things that I've, I've really been outspoken about, and it's not that it's bad, it's great, but then people have been very scared to break away from it because what if I fail? And that is not a big city mentality. I think that we are now starting the the younger ones that have been watching things happen and people that are moving in. They understand that in the big city, man, if you want things to happen, you have to take that risk. And a lot of the people that I have seen that have gone through that and that whenever I say, well, you know, at one point, it was like, you can make two cocktails in one tin. And it was like, what? This sacrilegious. What are you talking about? No way. I would never. Yeah, no, who are you? Like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> and, you know, and so that's that's where I, I you know, they were so at the time. Yeah, exactly. There's only one way to make a salsa. There's only one way to make a salsa or, or you know, there's only one way to, to, to make a mojito. And, uh, and so... All of those things have been proven through other bars, right, in bigger markets and, you know, uh, other places that, no, this you can do it. And eventually, like, the pressure of volume has been like, you know, can you make two cocktails in one? And there is absolutely a way to do it right and absolutely a way of doing it wrong. I Same thing. About 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not craft if, if, you, if you're not well, doing a single yeah, cocktail. Again, we go back to that. The bar that I'm opening up, I'm going to focus a lot on vermouth. And I think that that is one of the, there's two th- two reasons. One is because I love vermouth. <laughs> so it's what I drink. And so it's, it's something that I know as a consumer, right? And uh, the other one is because I feel that both the industry and consumers need to be uh, reintroduced to vermouth. Uh, too many bars still keep their vermouth in the back bar and spoil and make cocktails with spoiled um oxidized uh, vermouth and uh, bartenders because whoever's buying you sort of always you have that budget you know and you, you you're doing like quality to to price and and how much I'm, I'm getting and I think there are products out there that are being overlooked because like you taste it, it's like uh right and so my idea is to put out there as much vermouth as possible so that way whenever you go to different bars 
they have different vermouths, right? They have different ingredients because for the longest time you went to a cocktail bar and you look at the back bar and, and however big their inventory was, you always saw the same things, right? Same modifiers and and pretty much things were tasting kind of the same way if they were good because <laughs> some of them were, weren't, weren't sure. good and, and then, then there's the good stuff. Right. And it was that single school of thought. And so it's just one more ingredient to throw out there the same way as uh, Justin Van has done with Sherry. Like, you know, the the industry locally is more versed in Sherry now than before. There's still a ways to go. But I think that's just a matter of time of more people putting in their program and exposing themselves, their staff and um, the industry overall. But it's a it's a matter of of the people that are in a position to do it should like you're doing with that. I mean, you have that space available. It is something that you know will benefit you in the sense that the industry in Houston will be taken seriously, you know, uh, outside of Houston because you go outside of Houston. The only thing people talk about is Bobby. He's done a great job. He's been able to be consistent, which I think is the hardest thing. So many people have done great things in the city. But either because the investment wasn't real, <laughs> you know, and it was a pyramid scheme and their shit went to shit uh, or the, um, you know, they went too far and it was like everything on your menu is so esoteric that, you know, people want it, will drink it once, but not twice. And so you and your five friends are having a great time and that's not going to sustain a bar. So the thing that Bobby has done is been very consistent in the quality and the notion of like Anvil just being mostly a classic cocktail bar. I mean, the classics are the fundamentals, and so the majority of people are going to like them. All right, a few things going on the rest of the uh, month, and one of them is uh, on the 21st of March, 7 p.m., Cottonmouth. Um, Old Forester Rye, their launch party is going to be there. Uh, if you haven't tried it, uh, it's a good time to do it. Then um, there was going to be a Shakespeare sip competition at Spring Street Studios from uh, 7 to 11 the following day on the 22nd of March. And uh, we have St. Germain, 11 a.m. in the morning um, on Sunday the 24th at Herman Park. It's going to be a picnic and kite festival. That sounds pretty cool. Then, um, let's see, Radio Milano has got a Cypher uh, Gin Happy Hour happening on the 26th of March from 4 to 7 p.m. And uh, Silver Street Studios on the 27th at 6 p.m. is going to have the uh, Culture Map Test uh, Tastemakers Award. So that should be uh, that should be cool. The 31st of March through April 4th, I believe it is. Um, uh, April 3rd is going to be the USPG uh, Southwest Conference um, if you're not going you're missing out um, and you should be there in the city even if you don't have tickets for the event however you should get tickets if possible um, and go to this great networking uh, opportunity for anyone in the bar industry and I'm not going to be able to go this year because this is around the time that you know a bunch of shit is happening uh, if I may be able to escape for a day, I probably will because I've done that uh, in the past. And, you know, it's always fun to see everyone I haven't seen since uh, the last conference. So 
there's that. Um, also, I'm working on getting a uh, bartender yoga uh, happening, and uh, there's more details as as things solidify. I'll give you more details on that. Um, it's something that I've been working on for for a while because I know that a couple of years ago at Bar Smarts, um, Brooklyn Gin had their yoga or their yogi there um, helping bartenders out and anyone who wanted about the um, you know how to stretch and you know how, what to do to keep your body from uh, keep your body healthy. Uh, as a bartender, so there were certain exercises that were for the calves, the lower back, the inside, the shoulders, uh, the the shoulder blade, because those are the places that you, we put a lot of press, um, we put a lot of stress on our bodies um, based on the work uh, that we do, and so you know that's uh, that was an idea that I, I thought really would be great at just about any market and so ever since then i've been wanting to do something like that here it's just that things haven't been right and uh i'm hoping that things are finally starting to line up so that way we can start doing uh, a group one is to do exercises that are focused for maintaining health for our bodies based on the work that we do and two is to make it something that is uh, an event that is uh, open to everyone and that is also you know easy to get to and easy to get out of and all that kind of stuff so anyhow as i get more details i'll share them with you uh for now though i'm heading back to uh more cocktail creation more concept cre- <laughs> uh and more studying on the uh ins and outs of uh, vermouth so that should be really fun uh once i put that program together and get it started here in the very near future so i'm looking forward to uh, to sharing it with you and uh yeah so have a great weekend remember Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and keep the conversation going.